Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, Silicon Valley slows down and the end of middle seats on airplanes. But first, Europe's cautious reopening. So there has been a lot of talk this week about reopening the American economy and done by the White House and governors and cable news hosts. And to be honest, all of us, everyone wants it to happen. Why? Well, the economic toll of lockdowns has been catastrophic, with more jobs lost in the past month than had been gained in the entire decade since the Great Recession. There also have been lots of non-COVID-related health risks. For example, elective surgeries have been canceled, and people who would normally visit a doctor because they're not feeling well have been staying away. So again, we all want to reopen. We just disagree on when we should start doing it and how we should do it, particularly given our ongoing lack of widespread testing, including for people without symptoms. But America isn't completely in the dark here. Parts of Europe have already started to reopen, or at least have put plans in motion. This includes Italy and Spain, two of the hardest hit countries, plus places like Austria and Denmark. Remember, we followed many of those countries' leads when it came to lockdowns in the first place, and it may make sense to do it again. In 15 seconds, we'll dig into what's really happening in Europe and elsewhere with Axios World Editor Dave Lawler. But first, this. Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech, from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. We're joined now by Axios World Editor David Lawler. So, Dave, there are a bunch of countries in Europe that have started, uh, let's call them soft reopening plans. Could you walk us through some of these and how they're similar or maybe even how they differ? Sure. So they are taking slightly different steps. Denmark, as you mentioned, has opened nursery schools and daycare centers. So that's different than what Austria has done, which is open small shops and kind of they have a staged plan for how big, you know, the larger shops will be open. Restaurants will eventually be open step by step. So it varies with what's coming first. But the general idea is that you open venues that are of slightly lower risk, you monitor closely, and then you continue to open step by step beyond that. How big a part of those plans is testing, right? Because there's this massive fear and understandable fear that the more things that get opened, you're going to get new outbreaks because you simply don't know really who's going into these buildings outside of, say, China, where they're literally kind of everybody's got a card and you know who has had it and who hasn't. Yeah. So Germany is a good example of that. They just put out, Angela Merkel put out a plan this week where starting on Monday, they're going to have small shops open. And then on May 4th, they'll have schools open. But basically she said the difference between this being a success is a 1.0, you know, rate of transmission between people. Whereas a 1.2 rate of transmission will mean we have to lock down again. And, you know, this will be a cycle here. And so basically they have a great testing regime there. They have relatively sophisticated contact tracing, although not as sophisticated as places like South Korea. But obviously, the capacity to do that sort of thing varies widely, as we've seen within the United States and across Europe. Some countries just don't have that kind of capacity to test big chunks of the population on a weekly basis. Talk to me a little bit about Singapore, because Singapore was kind of early in terms of the outbreak and then did start to reopen, but then had to start locking some stuff down again, including schools, correct? 
Exactly. Yeah. So they basically had really good containment initially, didn't have their outbreak, never got as large as we've seen in a lot of these European countries. And their numbers were really minimal. I think we're talking in the dozens rather than in the hundreds or thousands. They did start to see those rise at a pace that was worrying them. They still, it didn't get, you know, it's not like it's running rampant like it is in in New York and places, but they were sufficiently worried that they had to start clamping back down. And so that's something that places like Germany are watching, that they're concerned that if they open things, too quickly, they might have to clamp back down. And there's a lot of concern that you'll lose the public trust at that point. If you open schools and then have to close them again, that's going to be really detrimental to just how people feel about going through lockdown. Is that something you're hearing that there's at least a strain of thought which says it is better to stay locked down until we are absolutely sure than to open and then have to close again, just even from a mental health perspective? Absolutely. Yeah. The UK foreign secretary laid out their strategy yesterday, and he was very clear that we want this to be the lockdown. We want to lock down long enough that this is it and that we can feel confident opening life back up again. Another interesting example is Sweden, which never went into lockdown, but they have social distancing measures and they have less severe, less restrictive measures. And they said, you know, the chief epidemiologist leading their strategy basically said, we wanted to do something that was sustainable for the long haul. So we didn't either have to clamp down or then do this reopening where we had to watch things. We wanted to just do something limited and long last. But isn't Sweden also having kind of explosive growth and much higher mortality rates than our other countries? Yeah. So that they're a particularly interesting case because they're surrounded by countries that have handled this really well. Denmark and Norway and Finland have very few cases, very few deaths. Sweden has quite a bit more. So then you point to the fact that they have the most permissive rules around this. The argument there is that their numbers are skewed because they did not keep it out of nursing homes, particularly around Stockholm. And they lost a lot of people in nursing homes there. And otherwise, the case numbers aren't particularly high. But yeah, it's definitely they have 1,200 deaths and Norway next door has 150. 43 deaths. So obviously people are looking at their lack of a lockdown as a potential reason for that. You saw yesterday the president kind of laid out his plan for reopening. Obviously, various states are coming up with their own plans, etc. Is there enough experience yet in Europe? In other words, are any of these kind of soft openings mature enough that there's anything that governors or the president can take from those yet as lessons or, or just not yet? So I think, you know, if we're talking about the Northeast and places like that, we're going to have to look at what happens in Italy and Spain, right? Because those are places that got large, because, you know, Austria, Denmark, they're opening now, but they didn't have the kinds of caseloads that we've seen in the U.S. So Italy, for example, they're not opening schools until the fall, but they are allowing factories to operate again. They're starting to open up shops and things. So we have to watch places like that to see if that starts to cause a second wave, because, you know, in places that contain this better, their experience might not really translate translate that directly to what we're seeing in the United States. Dave Lawler, who writes the Axios World newsletter, which you can get at signup.axios.com. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Dan. My final two, right after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is a warning sign from Silicon Valley. A company called Carta, which manages employee stock options for startups, including Axios, this week said that it is laying off around 160 employees, or 16% of its staff. But this isn't because Carta is running out of money. It's not. Sources tell me that it's got around $200 million in the bank and is about to raise another $200 million from venture capitalists. Now, the issue is that Carta doesn't think it's going to have enough work for these people to do, because there are going to be fewer new startups to sign and serve as clients. 
not just now or in May, but for the rest of the year. Now, Carta is giving its laid off employees a pretty good deal, including three months of severance and Cobra coverage through December. But its move signals that these people and the thousands more laid off like them are going to have a very tough time finding new startups to join. And finally, a global airline lobbying group called the International Air Transport Association says that leaving middle seats empty would be among the likely conditions for resuming air travel. The result would be keeping around one third of an airplane unsold, turning a 180 seater into a 120 seater. Now that sounds great from a traveler perspective, uh, no more elbows bumping up against your neighbor, but you do have to wonder if it'll mean much higher prices. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great National Crawfish Day, and we'll be back Monday with another Pro Rata Podcast.